that's a lot of people, and it is entirely possible that while I'm reading these names out and recording this podcast, somebody else jumped in. Hello, fine listeners. It's me, H.G. Warner. I am back for another episode of The Way She Sees It podcast. Um, so if you listened to my previous episode, and by the way, if you didn't, it is now available and it is really cool. Um, I mentioned that I would be discussing culture and politics over the course of this podcast. So we talked a little bit more on the cultural side last time when we discussed the topic of write what you know as a mantra given to new writers, emerging writers, sometimes even writers that are well-developed in the craft. So this time we are going to be taking a decidedly more political turn and we will be discussing the drumroll. I only have one hand free because my other hand is holding the notebook. Uh, We will be discussing the 2020 election. Yay! Um, But more specifically, we will be discussing the 2020 election from the perspective of a first-time voter, that being... Yours truly, H.G. Wonder. And I am not 18 yet, but I will be 18 at the time of the 2020 election, and so I'm going to be able to vote. And before that, I'm going to be able to vote in some local elections, which I'm pretty pumped for, honestly. I am a big fan of voting because I like exercising my rights, and I'm excited to do that. So, um, for those of you who have not checked out our Instagram, have not checked out our Twitter, and thus, by extension, have not checked out my Twitter... Um, If you didn't listen to the first episode of this podcast, or even if you did, you might not have gotten this, I tend to lean pretty left. I am liberal, (laughs) I will say. I was raised um, in a very conservative area, but through research and through changing political climates, which I guess is what this show is all about, I have come to develop a much more liberal standpoint, but I developed it very, very quickly over the course of maybe the past two years, I would say, because I remember that at the time of the 2016 election, I was very conservative and I was actually rooting for Ted Cruz initially, if you can believe it. Um, But then as the 2016 election went on, especially seeing Donald Trump, I started to sort of reconsider my lifelong views on the Republican Party and conservatism, 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 I I don't know. They're not exactly the same thing, but they are related. So um, as the 2016 election progressed and as Donald Trump became the nominee, I just started to think like, I don't think I can support this anymore and I don't think I believe this anymore. And so I started to reconsider my values and do some reading um, and I became very distant from my original views very, very quickly. And so I feel like I'm still playing catch up a little bit. And so, as I said in the first episode, I will probably get things wrong at some points and I might say things that are insensitive. And if I do, please call me out so that I can change, so that I can grow. Because that's what, you know, that's what I'm all about. That's what this show is all about. That's what modern social justice movements are all about. We have to recognize that in our past, what we said might not represent what we want to advocate for going forward. So, speaking of going forward, let's go forward and talk about every single person running for office in 2020. 
Now, I'm only going to talk about the Democrats, and that's not because I'm biased towards the fact that I will almost definitely be voting for the Democrat. It's because although there are a couple of other Republicans running, I am pretty sure that the nomination will be, that the nominee will be Donald Trump, unfortunately. Um, and everybody else seems to be pretty sure that the nominee is going to be Donald Trump. All of the Republicans seem to be pretty sure that the nominee is Donald Trump. The only people that I've heard of are... Um, the former governor of Massachusetts, whose name totally escapes me at the moment, I think put forward a bid. I know Jeff Flake, who is, by the way, a flake, said that he might be putting forward a bid, um, but I, I'm going to assume that Trump will carry the nomination. So let's read the list of every Democrat running for office. So I did this research in my recording studio, which is just my closet, which I sit on the floor of while my Legend of Zelda poster stares down at me. Um, and I put a check mark by everybody that has political experience. I put a female symbol by everybody that identifies as female. I put a little white circle with a line through it for everybody who identifies as non-white. And then I drew a little rainbow for everybody who identifies as queer. Spoiler alert, there's only one. So let's read the list of every Democrat running for office. And by the way, I don't do that to judge those people by those factors, nor do I do it to judge against people who don't have those factors. I'm not saying like, oh, this person has a female symbol by their name, therefore they're disqualified. Um, and likewise, I'm not saying, oh, this person doesn't have a female symbol, therefore they're not woke enough. I just think that it is important to emphasize that since this is such a diverse field, it is important to emphasize what makes that field so diverse and acknowledge those facets of the various nominees. Does that make sense? Anyway, <laughs> so first we have Michael Bennett, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, who, by the way, is my state senator, Mike Gavel, Kamala Harris, John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, Wayne Messam, Seth Moulton, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, Bernie Sanders, Eric Swalwell, Elizabeth Warren, Marion Williamson, and last but not least, Andrew Yane. That's a lot of people, and it is entirely possible that while I'm reading these names out and recording this podcast, somebody else jumped in. And uh, actually, this is more people than is the quota for debates, according to NPR. There is no quota for how many people can run for president in a single party, but there is a quota for how many people can fit on stage at that party's debates. Uh, and that quota is 20 people. And if you were keeping track, you will notice that I just read 22 names. So... Who's going to get the boot? That's the question. Is it going to be Pete Buttigieg? Yeah. <laughs> Funny joke. Funny joke. I like Pete Buttigieg. He's a cool guy. Um, yeah. So I, I do have favorites from this list. I have a couple of people that I really like. I have a couple of people that I'm like, oh God, I hope it's not them. And I have a couple of people about whom I'm like, who even are you? I'm sure that you will not last very long. But I'm not going to tell you who I want to vote for, because then you might think that I am speaking against the person that you plan to vote for, and that would make us all sad, because I'd like that we like each other. So instead, I'm going to turn the page in my notebook. Oh, I've ripped it. I just ripped it right out of the notebook! Okay, um, and instead of talking about candidates, I'm going to talk about how I view the 2020 election as a first-time voter on the issues. So... The first election that I remember was the election of 2008. I remember absolutely nothing about it, except that I was sitting on the floor of my house and I remember seeing a picture of Barack Obama's face on the TV screen. That's like all I remember. 
Um, all I remember about the election of 2012 is that um, I went to school the next day. I'm homeschooled now. I wasn't homeschooled back then. And they showed a picture of the polls taken afterwards. And Barack Obama had a 51% people that were happy with his uh, his winning the election. And then 49% of people were unhappy with him winning the election. And I remember my, mo- my mom later said, half the country is happy right now and half of the country is not. And I don't really remember anything else. I was still pretty conservative back then. Um, That might not be fair to say. It might be more fair to say that I hadn't actually really developed any beliefs at that point. And so I just sort of understood that the beliefs of people and adults around me to be fact because I hadn't started considering my own truth and my own voice and my own perspective yet. So that would be, I guess, a more accurate way to say it. Um, So the first election that I really remember having a vested interest in was the election of 2016. And like I said earlier in this segment, I underwent, uh, underwent, that's a word, right? I underwent a very fast period of social change. I started the 2016 election cycle hoping Ted Cruz would win. I ended it hoping that neither of them would win and we would just all die out to be spared from it. Now I look back on it and I'm like, I wish Hillary Clinton had won. Um, Not because I especially care for Hillary Clinton, um, Personally, if she ran in 2020, I don't think that she would be in my list of top five favorites. But she absolutely would have been much better than Donald Trump and probably would have ended up making a very competent and successful president. So now as I look back on the 2016 election, I'm like, why didn't she win? She should have won. She was very experienced, but, you know, she didn't. So it was wild. So one thing I specifically remember about the 2016 election was I go to a homeschool consortium, which is sort of like, like think of it as public school, but only two days a week and the rest of the days you're at home and it's in a church and everybody around you is um, very like-minded, except not everybody, but most people. And I remember that we had cupcakes on the day of the election and I went to debate class and there were cupcakes and I was wearing earrings with elephants on them and I told my teacher that I was there in support of the Republican Party. (laughs) So as you can tell, I have definitely changed a lot over time. And so that was my first election with a vested interest as an American and this is my first election with a vested interest as a voter. So as a first-time voter especially, I have a lot of issues I'm really passionate about, but... The issues that I really care about the most and the ones that are my deciding factor in terms of voting are not necessarily the same issues. And I think that that's something that people are getting stuck on a lot over this 2020 cycle is like, oh, let's look at this issue and let's look at this issue and let's look at this issue. And I feel like the issues people are focusing on are not necessarily the issues that should be the dividing, the deciding factor for who is the best person to be the presidential nominee that will run against Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Um, Like, for example, I am really passionate about LGBTQAI plus rights. I'm really passionate about, you know, protecting rights in the workplace, equal housing. Um, But that's not an issue that I'm considering when I look at candidates, because I don't think any 2020 Democrat are planning to take away gay marriage or maintain the current administration's transphobic policies. I think if a single 2020 Democrat came forward and said, hey, I don't actually support gay marriage, they would immediately be disqualified by the entire liberal base. So um, although that is one of the issues that I advocate the most for, I'm looking at my backpack right now and it has like six different rainbow buttons on it. Um, It's not the issue that is 
a deciding factor for me when considering candidates. Um, the biggest thing for me is a candidate who can beat Trump. And I think that that is what you keep hearing in the news. I read the Washington Post, unfortunately. I listen to NPR, fortunately. Um, and what I hear over and over and over again is beat Trump. Who can beat Trump? Which of these people can beat Trump? Let's look at their past records. Let's poll people who can beat Trump. And obviously, I think that that is really important because in my opinion, you're welcome to disagree with me, but in my opinion, Donald Trump has been the worst president in United States history. And I don't just mean because he's a racist, sexist, ignorant buffoon. I mean also because he's made the United States the laughingstock of the entire world, as was demonstrated by his speech at the United Nations. I think that he's severely damaged our ties with some of our key allies. I think that even if the economy is doing well, it's mostly doing well for people who are already doing well, like the 1%, that people down at the bottom aren't doing any better than they were before, and oh yeah, I think he's tearing families apart. So, um, anyway, people are probably going to be adding me on Twitter like, but HG, what about this thing? And to that I say, okay, make your point on that thing, and you are welcome to come on this podcast and debate me about it. But in my personal opinion, based on the extensive research that I do and the many hours I spent crying in front of my laptop, Donald Trump is the worst president in United States history and he needs to go. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, but I don't want the person that can beat Trump to be another Trump. I don't want them to be the kind of person that gets away with saying bad things. I want them to be a good person, you know, someone I can root for, someone I'll like having in office, someone who will make positive strides as a president. Um, and the good news is, as a first-time voter, it's more likely that I might get that because we have a very large pool of people to choose from. People who will, you know, come forward and demonstrate their policies and hopefully one of them will be the right one for the job. Um, going back to the Obama years a little bit, I wasn't into activism during the Obama years. I was literally like 10 years old so I didn't really even know what activism was um, and so I don't know what it's like to have a political climate where I feel that positive change is being made. I don't know what it's like to have a political climate where I feel like I'm not fighting. You know every day I read the news and it's like what do I do? How can I fight this? People are dying and these new policies are going to cause harm and oh, there was a shooting, and Earth is going to be destroyed, and the cops shot yet another unarmed black man, and Donald Trump made yet another stupid tweet, and it just feels like there's one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, day after day after day, and it's like everything is falling apart around us all the time. It's like I was walking in a forest full of butterflies and flowers, and then suddenly a bulldozer came in, and someone started chopping all the trees down, and all the butterflies caught on fire, and an adult comes up to me and goes, hey, welcome to being an adult. And I'm like, this isn't what I want. I want the forest with butterflies back. And they go, tough, kid. So now I'm running around trying to plant new trees and splash water on the butterflies so they don't burn out. But, you know, there are 50,000 bulldozers and only one of me. That was a very bad metaphor. Basically, it feels like the whole world is going to hell. And I really hate that. <laughs> so I would like a president who I feel like is going to make positive strides and I would like a president who will make a country where I feel like I'm not constantly fighting. I think there are things that we will always have to fight for, but I feel like when you are pursuing a cause, you should not have to meet opposition in the face of what is right. Example, in case in point, climate change. I should not have to, you know, 
fight for climate change only to hear in response from the people that are making my laws that climate change isn't actually real, you know? And also in terms of fighting, I don't just mean activism-wise, I mean people-wise too. Like, contrary to popular belief, I don't actually enjoy arguing with Republicans in the comments section of Instagram. I don't like spending my time fighting with someone who's only different from me in the fact that their beliefs are different than mine. Because, yes, people can have different beliefs. People can disagree on things. But it's way more complicated than that, especially now. We are going to take a quick break for the Midway Mansion. The Midway Mansion is something that I brought up in the first segment but didn't actually get a chance to do, and something that I will be continuing every week after this. In the Midway Mansion, I'll tell you something that I discovered this week or something that I've been using this week to learn, to grow, to be entertained, and why I think that you should be into it too. I'm not being sponsored for the Midway Mansions, I'm just shouting them out, and if they shout me out back, that would be pretty cool. This week's Midway Mansion is the YouTube company Jubilee, which releases numerous video series several times a week. Jubilee has a bunch of series that I think are really interesting, engaging, and thought-provoking. They have a series that I really enjoy called Spectrum, which they will line people up of a similar demographic with seven lines, the middle being neutral, and then to the right being slightly agree, agree, strongly agree, and then vice versa in terms of the left to disagree. They've done really interesting things in the past, such as do all women think the same? Do all convicted felons think the same? Do all teen mothers think the same? Do all Asian Americans think the same? Do all Trump supporters think the same? And I found that it's really interesting to see how people are similar and different, even within demographics where people might be stereotyped or grouped together. Another series that Jubilee has, which I really enjoy, is Middle Ground, where they invite three people from one side of an issue and three people from the other, then ask them questions. And if the person agrees with the question, they can come forward, sit down at a stool in the middle of the room and discuss their beliefs with the other people that came forward. Jubilee is an American-owned YouTube network, which I think is really cool, and they have a very intelligent group of people. I just, I really enjoy watching their videos. They're quite long sometimes, but I always feel like I have a better sense of who people are after watching them. It's like watching a TED talk, only you're hearing the perspectives of numerous people in real time, bouncing ideas off of each other. And some of their videos are really deep and introspective, and some of them are a little funny. This one series that they have where they take a thousand dollars and do a social experiment to see if people can split the thousand dollars or try to keep it all for themselves. Um, and even that one, you learn a lot about people from a psychological standpoint, like you learn what makes people tick. And it's, it's a fascinating YouTube channel. It's a fascinating, that's the word I'm looking for. It's a fascinating YouTube channel and they have many engaging series. So if you have not heard of Jubilee, I highly recommend them. No matter what side of the political spectrum you come from, you will find something you enjoy there. Okay, so now coming off of the Midway mention, I'm going to go back to the point I was making earlier. And that was that um, I believe that people can disagree. I believe that people have a right to disagree. Um, but the idea of let's agree to disagree is getting much harder now because it, it feels like to say, oh, you have different beliefs than me now means that, oh, you have beliefs that disagree with what rights people get. And maybe it's not intentionally looking that way, but that's sort of how it feels. Like 
if somebody tells me, um, oh, I don't think that Black Lives Matter is a big issue, but we can agree to disagree. It feels so difficult to agree to disagree on something that I feel is directly impacting people's lives and stripping them of their rights, you know? So um, I would like a political climate where I feel like disagreement is easier and where I feel like if I decide that I will agree to disagree with someone, I'm doing air quotes now, but you can't see it, um, if I do make that decision or if I befriend someone of a different belief than me, I don't have to feel guilty about it. I would like it if we could have an environment where people are not um, trying to strip each other of their rights in terms of this is what my beliefs say. And so you cannot function to the same level of human dignity that I can function. So that would be nice. Um, so a couple issues most important to me as a first time voter are, I'm going to list for gun control, climate change, wealth redistribution, and Medicare for all. The issues I am very passionate about, the issues that I am, I think, decently well educated about, the issues that I see the most change regarding in the news and in the world around me um, are these four. So first, I'm going to talk about wealth redistribution and climate change, and I'm going to talk about them together because they are related. I mean, you have to remember that my generation has the highest college prices ever, um, but we aren't making enough to pay for college. I am going to college in less than three months. I think my chalkboard countdown that I have in my bedroom says 103 days, um, and... I am going to be paying a lot of money. I'm going to be going into debt. I will probably not pay off that debt for a very long time. Um, but my generation is on track to make less than our parents. I'm currently working two jobs so I can attend a private college and I do this podcast and another podcast on the side. Um, and so I feel like people who have so much money that they don't know what to do with it should share it. And not necessarily by paying for my college, but that's something that as I've been considering, that has specifically brought the issue of wealth redistribution to my attention. Um, by the way, I probably sound, I've just realized that I probably sound very angry over the course of this podcast, and it is not my intention to get my listeners' blood boiling. It's not my intention to shout down anybody. Um, but I will say that I am very passionate about a lot of these issues, and that might sound like anger, um, and I'm not driven by fury or whatever. Um, I do feel angry about certain issues that I see happening in the world, but my intention with this podcast is not to come at it in a spirit of anger. And so if I do appear that way, or I guess sound that way because you can't see me, um, I do apologize, but understand that that anger, if it sounds like anger, is actually passion that's being mistaken for anger. So I'm probably not going to change my tone of voice in this episode, but um, just understand that. So, um, back to wealth redistribution. I'm not saying necessarily that I'm talking about rich people paying for my college here, but in paying for college, it has been brought to my attention that there is a vast skewing of wealth in this country. And a small percent of people owns a large percent of money. And I feel like people who are in that demographic of having so little of them, but so much money, should share it with everybody else. Um, and this ties into climate change because the world is changing rapidly and things that measures that can be taken to prevent climate change all cost money. 
I want to save Earth, but I don't have enough money. And some people do have enough money, but they don't want to save Earth. So we are sort of at an impasse. And that's why I think that it's an important issue in the 2020 election. Let me turn the page of my notes. Um, because climate change and wealth issues are related. Because both, I think, are driven by greed. Climate change is accelerating at the degree which climate change is accelerating because of the greed of large corporations. And large corporations are owned by wealthy people. So, dear adults who listen to this show, it is super unfair that you ruined the planet and left it to my generation. And specifically, I'm talking to adults who are involved in the large company who do nothing but destroy Earth with their greed. Um, and I guess it's kind of unlikely that any of those large company people are listening to my show. But if you are, please, please DM me on Twitter so that you can come on to this show. I would love to have the corporate heads of Amazon and Apple and Walmart and Target and McDonald's. I think it would be so cool if I could get the corporate heads of those places contacting me. Um, and then they could come on my show and that would be really cool. And I could tell them what a terrible job they're doing, and they could tell me why I'm a stupid little teenager who doesn't know what she's talking about and should mind her own business. And it would be really interesting, but maybe we would have an engaging and civic conversation, and, you know, that would be really nice. So, here's a statistic. I like statistics because I'm a liberal. According to CBS News, I paid more taxes than Amazon and Netflix this year because... Amazon and Netflix both paid zero dollars in taxes, and I'm not going to tell you what I paid in taxes, but let's just say for the sake of this show that it was more than zero dollars. It was uh, a lot more than zero dollars. Um, and those companies, I know for a fact, make more money than I do. I don't need to look up the statistics. They make more money than me. It is a fact. And they should not have to pay less in taxes than me, but they do because they're greedy and because they have the government in their pockets and it's not fair. I want to use an expletive here, but I am a lady and so I'm not going to, but it's really, really, really unfair and it makes me honestly pretty annoyed because I see that, you know, the ocean is being polluted by plastic and ice caps are melting. And when I look at things that are like, how can we save the planet? People go, take shorter showers, stop using plastic straws, don't buy Nutella, the world will be a safer place. And I'm like, but if we held large companies responsible for their greed, in addition to small consumer actions, wouldn't it make so much more change? And this is why I think wealth redistribution and climate change are related, because both are driven by greed and both could sort of help each other. If we stopped giving tax cuts to the wealthy and to large corporations, that money could be used to fund the fight against climate change. That is a fight that needs a ton of money, and that money has to come from somewhere, and it can't come from me because I'm already giving enough money to a bunch of different causes in addition to the money that I'm giving to the federal government for taxes. If it came from large corporations and wealthy people in a way that was not harmful to them, I'm not saying let's take all of their money and leave them naked on the street with no pennies to rub together. I'm saying let's take a responsible look at a large pool of money and how can we take that money in a way that is sensible and ethical and humane. <laughs> I guess it's a weird way to phrase taxes, but it should be. And redistribute that towards not only the people who are down at the bottom of the heap, but also to the planet. So, America has large industries, a lot of large industries. That's a cool thing, but it also causes some problems because those large industries get off easy on taxes. So what I think that we need is somebody who can 
regulate those industries so that their greed doesn't hurt the climate and so that their enormous sums of money can be used partially towards the benefit of everybody else. Because that's how a society works. I did take economics. <laughs> um, I think that this is probably, that's probably the segment of the show that is going to get the most shouted at at Twitter. But I feel like I'm so insignificant at this point that I'm not sure if anyone will even take the time to compose an angry response to me because I don't really know if anybody listens to this show. Um, and if you do listen to this show, first of all, I love you. And second of all, please tell your friends about this show because I'm just starting out, but I feel like I have a lot to say. So the other two issues that I talked about, I'm just going to touch on briefly because I'm already starting to run over on how long I want these episodes to be. Those are the issues of gun control and of Medicaid for all. Medicare, Medicare, healthcare. Let's just go with that. End of healthcare for all. So gun control is something that my generation is specifically invested in because many of my peers have had to grow up and fear for their lives in school shootings. I am homeschooled and so I have never known that fear close up, but you know, I'm appalled to see that other members of my generation have to go through that and I feel like legislation is doing nothing. That's something that's very important to me and fortunately it seems like all of the Democratic nominees are planning to enforce gun control to some level or another. So those are four things that I am really looking for as a first-time voter and as somebody who has grown up in 21st century America where these issues have become more pressing, especially during the past few years of the Trump presidency, as I feel like these issues have become much more heated, come much more closely under fire, and unfortunately have not been addressed to the level that they should be by the present administration. So those are my thoughts for this week. I have a really good episode planned for next week. I will have a guest speaker for the first time on the show, which is really, really exciting to me. Um, and hey, maybe you would like to be a guest speaker on the show. Maybe you'd like to tell me that I'm a stupid liberal and you don't like my beliefs. Or maybe you would like to tell me that I'm a liberal, but you respect my beliefs and you can see my side. And that would be really cool of you. So if you're interested in coming on the show, if you like this show, if you are so excited to hear another episode of this show, let me know. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. As I said before, you can always DM me. Um, please stay civil and respectful, and I will always respect you as long as you respect me. And it will be cool, and hopefully the world will become a better place. So, I'm H.G. Wander, and this is how I see it. The Way She Sees It was created, written, produced, and engineered by me, H.G. Wander. Our logo art was created by Martina Kashnia. Our music was composed by H.G. Warner. To connect with us on social media, you can visit us on Twitter at WaySheSeesItPod or on Instagram at TheWaySheSeesItPod. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'll be back next Friday with another hot take. And until then, I don't have a tagline. <laughs>